Thank you guys so much for coming to lead. Didn't they do a good job? That was very joyous and uh, no pun intended, Miss Joy. And so um, thank you all. Now, if you have a Bible or I saw someone over there with the phone, if you have a Bible on your phone, we're going to do a study in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And I wanted to speak to you today about a message that I've entitled, Ignorant Ain't Stupid. <laughs> Ignorant Ain't Stupid. Like <laughs> so does anybody remember when you were growing up, some memories or, or some stories from your childhood? Does anybody remember your mama tucking you in at bedtime or something like that? I, I was thinking the other day about whenever I was growing up. See, I'm from Mississippi. And every morning I can remember... My daddy getting up early. We had to get up before the sun ever came up. We weren't farmers or anything like that, but he drove the school bus. And so every time we'd get up to go to school, we'd have to get up before all the other little kids, you know, and, and we'd get up. At, it was pitch black dark outside. And I remember my daddy coming into my room and flipping that switch on and waking me up for school. Does anybody have memories such as that when you were growing up? Some good memories, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we all have those memories. Well, I'm going to tell you, one time, um, there was this time that my daddy would wake up, and he'd go in there to wake me up. And he'd say, rise and shine, rise and shine, wake up. And I'm telling you what, I cannot remember how bad I just wanted to just knock my daddy in the head because it's at 5 a.m. It's too early. No matter who you are, it's too early to be saying, rise and shine, rise and shine, get up. And you know what he'd say? He'd say, get, get, your, feet on, get your feet on the floor. I remember him saying that. He'd say, feet on the floor, feet on the floor. I can't stand when somebody says that because my daddy used to always say that. And you know what else he'd say? He'd say, get up. You got to get breakfast. And he'd say, hey, you need to get you some cereal. Of course, he meant cereal. You know what I mean by cereal? He said cereal. And so, you see, we had a very colorful vocabulary down in Mississippi. And I guess it's a little bit like that here in Kentucky. But when I say colorful, I don't mean like four-letter words or nothing like that. I mean, what I mean is the way that we talk. Like, we talk about like it sounds like a banjo, you know. Is anybody else talk like that just a little bit? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I'll I tell you, another memory was whenever um, in the summertime, my daddy would, would tell us to go. We lived in Lafette Springs, you see, so there's the watering hole. And so when there wasn't else, else to do, when you was a teenager, you'd just get in the car and just drive around, but there's nothing, nothing down there, you know. But one thing we would do in the summertime is he'd say, get your flop, he wouldn't say flip-flops, he'd say, get your flop flips on. He said, hey, hey, John Tyler, get your flop flips on her, and we're going to go down there to the swing hole. We're going to go to the, the, the pool. Or sometimes I remember we'd go to the beach, and he'd say, hey, get your flop flips on. Isn't that silly? Yeah. And so we had your cereal, and you had your flop flips. And the other one I just loved to hear him say was the one I mentioned earlier. He'd say, um, now this is whenever we, anybody remember acting up whenever you were a kid at the store, and mom and daddy used to, you know, kind of discipline you or, you know, say, hey, you stop that. Well, I remember being in the grocery store, or actually it was like the Walmart where they had the clothes racks, and I can remember running around, 
See, I wasn't the only goofy one in my family. My daddy was pretty goofy, rise and shine. I was kind of goofy too, because I just had all the energy. I'd be running around the clothes racks and hiding. And, you know, Betty Sue would come in to get her milk and bread or something like that. And I'd pop out, you know, of the clothes racks and, ah, you know, it'd scare them. And, um, and she'd say, my mama would say, actually, it was my mama with this one. She'd say, now, John Tyler, you need to stop being ignorant. Stop, stop acting ignorant. And so as I grew older, I just always remembered asking, wondering, what's that word ignorant mean? Like, I never heard ignorant, ignorant, two syllables. Well, as I got older, I eventually learned that what she was saying is the word ignorant, you know. And of course, the, the word ignorant is not the same as the word stupid or dumb. It's not an ugly word, you know. I used to get those two confused. Ignorant just simply means that one just simply does not know something. It's unaware or untrained in a particular area. Stupidity, on the other hand, is a lack of good sense or foolish. There's two different things. Of course, I used to think of them as, as similar. They're not. It's not. Ignorant just means you simply don't know. Nobody's ever told you something. Okay? And so what I'd like to encourage us about today is that Christians like you, I heard many of you discussing how and proclaiming how you are a believer in Christ Jesus, that we uh, need, need to know how to associate and communicate with the world around us, don't we? The Bible says be in the world, but not of it. So we don't need to look like the world and things like that. But at the same time, we need to know how to associate and communicate. And sometimes there might be things in our Christian life that we just don't know. That doesn't make us foolish or, or stupid, but it might make us ignorant. And it's good to learn things. So that's the difference in ignorant and stupidity. And I just remember my mama saying, hey, boy, don't you act ignorant, <laughs> jumping around, jumping around at the store. And so that is what reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and look there. I'd like for us to talk about how Christian liberty can become a stumbling block for surrounding believers or potential believers. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Are y'all ready? Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the, in the world and that there is no other God, really, but, but one. For even if there was so a so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there are many gods or many lords, even if that was so, Paul says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom all living things, all things, and for we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through him are all things and through whom all uh, we live. However, verse 7, there is not... In everyone that knowledge for some with conscientiousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. Talking about the food offered to idols. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we are, we are the better, nor if we do not eat, we are the worse. But we bestow lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in idols in an idol's temple, will not the conscience 
of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brother and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food uh, makes my brother stumble, talking about the food offered to idols, that is. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for these believers, God, that have just come together. Lord, we have come together just to bring glory to your name, to bring praise to your name, Lord, and to respond to you, Lord. And right now, I pray that you'd help us to respond to your word, Lord. And um, Lord, help us to grow deeper in our walks with you, Lord. I pray that you would lift up the brothers and sisters here and encourage them in their faith as, Lord, you are working in their life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to spend a few minutes, like I say, talking about Christian liberty or freedom and how that could sometimes become a stumbling block to those around you. And so I want to give you five warnings from the Word of God according to Paul's words there in 1 Corinthians to the believers at Corinth um, that I believe could be relevant to your life today. Not only do I love my mama's word when she used to say, I just remember, so silly, she'd say, Boy, get, y'all, uh, y'all, know, y'all seen some people that have the, the uh, ropes that they tie onto their kids these days? Yeah. They didn't have those back when I was a kid, but I think my mama could have probably used one because I was just energized bunny running around, and she'd say, you, you silly, you know, stop being ignorant, like I say. But, but another word she'd use was, and this is probably honestly my favorite word of them all, is I remember she'd say, Rrr. I mean, it almost does, that almost doesn't sound like a word. It sounds more like a sound, like a car stopping or something. Well, you know, I learned eventually what she meant by that is um, like ruined, I think is what she meant, you know. And so I don't know if she would say, you smell rent. I, don't, I just remember that vernacular growing up. She'd say, boy, don't you act rent like that. And you know, as Christians, a lot of times we can, we can have a rent. A reputation of those around us. You know, we can really ruin our reputation and we might be, Ephesians 1 says, in Christ sealed like an envelope, not because we're saved by our works, we're saved by his work on the cross. And so we can't be unsaved. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that today? Yes. But nevertheless, even though we are, nobody can snatch us out of his hand, like the word of God says, oh, no. that doesn't negate the fact that we can ruin our reputation sometimes, can't we? We can use our Christian freedom or liberty, and we can really have some reputation, if you will. So number one, I want us to be careful what you do not know. Be careful what you do not know. I want you to consider that others around you may have a different worldview than you do. A worldview, I'm going to tell you what you say, what is a worldview? Well, a worldview is about like a nose. You know, we all have noses. We all have one of them. But no two people have the exact same nose. No two people have the exact same worldview. A worldview is the way that you see the world and your experiences. Remember, I was asking you about when you was growing up. Well, you grew up probably in a different town than I did. And you grew up with different parents than I did. They had different names and experiences than my parents did and such as this. And so all the different little uh, situations that have made up who you are today, whether good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's different 
from the one that I've had. It brought me here today, the worldview I have. And, and she and him and everybody, we all have a different worldview. Worldviews are kind of like noses. We all have one, but no two people have the exact same worldview. And I want you to consider people around you they don't have the same worldview as you do. They might have a similar worldview. Maybe they also grew up in Kentucky and they've also too heard the name of Jesus. But who is Jesus to them? Well, it might not be the, the Jesus of the Bible. They might think it's just a, you can go to heaven like we was talking about earlier. You're sealed until the day of redemption, not by our works, but because of his work on the cross. Amen. We know that's the true gospel that we find in scripture, but they might be growing up with the worldview that said, if they do this, this, and this, they can go to heaven. And of course, that would be called a, a bad worldview or a non-biblical worldview. But all of us have worldviews. And the point is, is these experiences or these presuppositions, these assumptions that we all have, it make up who we are. And we can't assume that those people around us are going to understand exactly what you're your worldview is. I want you to consider that others around you may have a different worldview than you do. I want to tell you about my friend named Salam. Everybody say Salam. Salam. Well, listen, Salam is a Muslim. I met him at the mall down in uh, Clarksville one day. Uh, this was a few years back, and Salam and I started um, hanging out, and I started telling Salam about Jesus. Of course, Muslims do not believe that Jesus is the one true God like you and I believe. Muslims believe that he's just a good person or a prophet or something like this. They do not follow Jehovah, Yahweh, God like you and I do. They follow Allah, and it's a completely different worldview. He, he was from a different country and things like this. And, and so we began, as we began to get to know each other, Salam and I realized, you know, I, I spoke primarily English, and originally he grew up speaking Arabic. You know, we had a different experience in that that caused us to have different worldviews. I grew up in a culture where women were not immodest if they were showing their hair out in public, but he grew up in a culture that said if women were showing their hair at all to anyone except for their husband, they were acting immodest. He had a different worldview. I grew up eating bacon. Hallelujah. I love bacon. Praise the Lord. And he grew up in a culture that said whether it's right or wrong, he grew up in a culture that taught him that bacon was unclean or something like that. He had a different experience that he brought to the table. But nevertheless, that day in Clarksville Mall, I met Salam. And he met me with all of his experiences and his worldview, and I met him with mine. So one day, uh, Salam and I went running. We, we, we started hanging out a little bit. He never did become a believer, or at least not that I'm aware of as of yet. But I began to, to befriend him and to share with him the love of Jesus. And so we started to exercise one day. And this is pretty, this is pretty bad, but I do need, just need to share. Um, you know, I mentioned about the bacon, of course. In his worldview, he did not believe that bacon was clean to eat. You know, the, you, you don't eat pig. And, um, and so he had come over here just after a couple of months. And we were running and we were jogging. And I was like, Salam, hey, um, you know, what's your favorite restaurant here? He'd been here for a couple of months. And he said, oh, I love all the restaurants. I love all the restaurants here in the United States. What is your favorite restaurant, Salam? And he said, oh, I tell you what, I love Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. And I said, oh, you love Taco Bell. Of course, this is, this is kind of bad because this is a little white lie, I guess you'd, you'd say. Because um, in the taco meat at Taco Bell... There's not actually bacon in the taco meat, you see. It's, it's, no. not, it's not bacon at all. But as we're running, um, I said to him, I said, what's your favorite restaurant? And he said, oh, Taco Bell. And I said, oh, oh, no. 
He said, what? <laughs> and I said, you, you do not eat the tacos. He said, oh, yes, I love the tacos. I said, no, you did not eat the tacos. So Lam said, yes, yes, brother, why? What is the problem with the tacos? And I said, Salam, there's bacon in the tacos. He said, oh, my God. And he was just, he was just so, um, so upset. I said, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But all of us, you know, that's an extreme. Salam comes from a different country and things like that. But all of us, even the, the friends uh, that have grown up in Kentucky together in the bluegrass, we all have different worldviews and experiences that make us who we are. And in the same way, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, these people in Corinth, see, um, there was a lot of food around, but it was the food that was offered to idols, you see. And so um, a lot of the food there in that, that area were, was food that was offered to idols, which means that if there was another God, like a secondary God, I mean, let's go ahead and say that God, Jesus is still, Jehovah is still the number one God, but if there's a secondary or a tertiary God that's alive, perhaps it could be contaminated. So because we follow Jesus, let's not eat the food offered to idols, especially if there's a famine in the land or something like that. That was what some of them were saying. We follow Jehovah. And so we're not going to eat the food offered to idols. But then someone thought about it one day. They said, well, this is kind of wasteful, you know, because the, it's not that Jehovah is the number one God and there's other secondary gods. He's the only he's the only God. He's the only one that's alive. He's the only one that died. And three days later, he rose again. Amen. Amen. And so it's not that the secondary or the, or the tertiary gods are just kind of inferior. They don't even exist. He's the only one for whom we breathe and have life. And so these Christians in Corinth were asking Paul, they said, can we eat the food or not? The food that's offered to idols, is it contaminated or not? And Paul makes a really good point. He says, well, you, you know, you can eat it because it's not contaminated because the gods are not even real in the first place. It's not like they, they came down and contaminated. They don't exist unless because of someone else's worldview. And remember I said the word ignorant is not the same as stupid. It doesn't mean you're stupid if you just don't know something. Nobody's just taught you. No one's taught you that yet. And out of their ignorance, in other words, they had not heard about the gospel yet. And out of their ignorance, not knowing, if they see you take the food that was offered to the idols, that might cause them to stumble. See, we have to be careful how other people around us interpret information. So we, you and I know the food that was offered to the idols was not contaminated because the idols were not real in the first place. You and I know that. But remember, they, in their worldview, had not heard as of yet the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were still worshiping these false idols that didn't even exist. And so for them, in their perspective, to see someone come in and take food that was offered to their God and consume it, and they're calling themselves a Christian, this might cause them to stumble because of their being unaware or being uninformed. And so you and I, we have to, we have to be aware that other people around us, other people around us have different perspectives than you and I do. Sometimes in my mind, I think, I, I think everybody else this is very dangerous to think this way. But everybody else thinks just like me. You know, wouldn't that be kind of dangerous that everybody else thinks like JT, you know? But, but the reality is, that's not true, is it? 
You have different experiences you bring to the table. And that doesn't make one person right or wrong. We need to base what we believe to be based off of truth. But it's a reality that people around us might think differently than we do. And we need to be cognizant of that. And so what are some benefits of being aware of others' worldviews? Well, you will avoid unnecessarily turning people off around you. You will, you will un, you avoid unnecessarily turning people off. You can say a good thing and you could say it the wrong way. You could say a good thing and you could say it the wrong way. Whenever I was in 11th grade, I remember sitting in the biology class and, you know, I've wrestled with this many years. I remember this. In one sense, I'm very thankful that I stood up for, for my faith and for my Jesus. But in another sense, I look back on this experience and I think, man, maybe I could have done a, a better execution of what I was trying to do because my teacher she was she had her PhD from the university and she was teaching us evolution and all these you know wonderful things that are not true in in our advanced placement science class in 11th grade and I remember I kind of kind of raised my hand and snarled my nose and kind of told her what I thought you know and in one sense it's good that I stood up for as a creationist you know I I don't discount that but I think maybe my attitude the way that I presented myself in that class I might maybe could have given myself a a little bit uh, more thought to that you know I don't mean not saying anything at all but the way I kind of came across I think I was a little like I'm a I'm an 11th grader let me tell you what what's true And, and and this is what really bothered me though what bothered me is we had an advanced placement biology in 11th grade class, and then we had a Christmas party that December. So you can do a good thing, and you can do it the wrong way. And I remember what I did was I went to the Christian bookstore, and I got Bibles. Now, I didn't have malicious intent. Don't hear me. I, I was worried about their souls. I mean, I remember that. But I went, and I got Bibles at the Christian bookstore, and I showed up at that Christmas party at my, my teacher's uh, house there, and I gave every one of those students a Bible. Well, that's good. You know, it's not bad. Uh, at least I gave them a Bible. But you know what I did? I gave them those Bibles. I said, Merry Christmas, and I left. And I remember thinking, man, I wonder if it might have made a bit of a difference if I'd have spent a few more minutes trying to explain to, explain to or to love or to care for, or to, to express that I actually cared, instead of just saying, here's a Bible, you know. Um, and so I think uh, I valued being argumentative more than being intentional. And I think that we can never value being argumentative more than being intentional. Intentionality is spending time with people on purpose, you know, and saying, hey, I care about you. I think that's important. And we get so busy in our lives, don't we? We get so busy and we don't. We get so busy, especially in our American culture. And, and, you know, we need to understand that it's more important to be intentional than it is to be argumentative. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you Care. One time I was uh, in Texas as a summer missionary and we were going door to door sharing the good news of Jesus. And, and I knocked on the door um, of this one apartment. And I remember uh, the missionary I was interning with was there and he opened the door and a woman and some kids were on the floor. And, and I said, um, hey, uh, um, we'd like to share with you the bread of life. This really happened. OK. And, um, and I went to share the good news. And as I was speaking uh, inviting her to our apartment Bible study, I noticed that one of the children opened up the frig- refrigerator, and when they opened up the refrigerator, the refrigerator was 
empty, except for one pack of red hot dogs. And she had three or four kids. And in that moment, it dawned on me, I could speak about the bread of life all day long, but if their bellies are hungry, it's real hard to hear about the bread of life, isn't it? Amen. And so we have to be careful because good intentions can only take us so far. So um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Another benefit is that you'll be more likely to reach people who aren't like you with the gospel. There's a difference in how we should relate to people who are believers and how we should relate to people who are not believers. Um, During the 2020 pandemic, anybody remember the pandemic? Oh, wasn't it just wonderful? Yeah, <laughs> just a, well, that was an interesting year, wasn't it? And the year after that too. Uh, it just kept on being just so wonderful. But God is good, Amen. And all the time He's good, and even in 2020 He was good. But I remember during that year, you know, all the church members they all stayed at home, and we all became televangelists because we all had to watch it on our little phones, you know, because you know a lot of us. And so I remember um, I had. To, Yeah, we did choir practice on Zoom, uh, and we had to get creative. And I remember that year I had to get creative with um, reaching out to people that didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there was a nutrition shop that opened up downtown, and I went in to get um, a a shake. And she said, you could work here. And I thought to myself, I don't want to work here. I have a job. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. There's all these people that are coming in. Of course, it was 2020, you see. So people couldn't come to the church there for a couple months or whatever. And it was, and so I said, I could start coming in on, on Mondays and, and on Saturdays. So I started coming in and blending shakes. Well, there was this other gentleman, gentleman his name was Shaheen. And, um, and, and so I was, of course, I was undercover missionary. That's what we have to be, amen. We have to kind of be undercover sharing the good news. And so he was, Shaheen was sharing his, uh, stirring his blender and I was stirring mine. And we were just getting to know each other. And Shaheen, a 21, 22 year old, um, Completely different than I am. I'm just a little nerd, and he's just real cool dude. He has like a do-rag on his head, and he's like, hey, man. And, you know, and we're just uh, hanging out. And Shaheem said, um, hey, you want to hang out sometime? And I said, yeah, let's start going to the gym. Well, we'd start going lifting weights together. And um, I noticed that as we were lifting, we're doing the bench press, we'd start doing the bench press, and he gets real heavy, and he'd kind of let a dirty word uh, you know, slip out of his mouth. And so, but you see, he wasn't a believer at that time. And so I didn't say, oh, how dare you speak in my presence. I'm a believer. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. You know, that would be silly. I didn't, he, he, was, he was not a believer. He didn't follow Jesus yet. And so um, I noticed that and it, it bothered me, but I didn't mention anything. And I was at some point going to share the good news with him. But I tell you, it was amazing because God's at work all around us, isn't Amen. he? He's at work all around us. And, and the first time he came over to our house, me and Stacy invited him over to, to grill out one um, summer afternoon. And he sat down on my couch. I remember we had just ate some steaks and all this. And um, he sat down on the couch. And I was sitting on the floor, um, folding clothes. And he said, hey, you're, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he said, does that make your life easier? I said, absolutely not. It really kind of makes my life harder because Satan don't like it when we follow Jesus, you know? He likes to, he likes to attack. And, um, he, and so he asked, he said, 
Well, can you tell me about how to become a Christian? People all around us need to know about Jesus, don't they? Uh, sometimes I didn't even have to say anything. And he was saying, could you help me understand this gospel truth? And Shaheem got saved right there on my couch, praise the Lord. And so then, yes, and then he became a believer. Or in that moment, he became a believer, was baptized. And um, I, we began to, I began to disciple him and pour into his life every week. But then a couple weeks later, we went to work out again, you see. And we got to that, that third set where it was real heavy. And he got real hot. And he let out one of those wordy dirties, you know. And I said, excuse me. He said, oh, well, I thought it didn't. And I said, well, you weren't a Christian then. But now you're a member of the family of God. You're held to a, a different standard. Because as believers, you and I, we are called to live above reproach. And so not only should we be careful what what you do not know, that other people have different perspective than you do, you must learn to be careful where you go. As children of God, we are called to live above reproach. We cannot expect to be used by God to change the world with the light of Christ if we are still walking around in darkness, not living as children of the light. That's what I call a hypocrite. It is. And all of us, we, we are living hypocritically when we're not living in accordance with the word of God. So what are some benefits of living above reproach? Well, when, when we live above reproach, we will avoid accidentally or unintentionally, catch this, leading others down a path of destruction. Uh, one of them smart people one time said, I think it was Isaac Newton in the 1600s. He said this, and he thought he was the first one. But really, this is a biblical truth that's been, you know, we find in Scripture. But he thought, he thought it, he came up with that it. it was the third law of motion. For every action, there is a reaction. Everywhere you go, you affect something or someone. Did you know that? Amen. Words can build up. Words can tear down. And, and so you cannot, you cannot control how other people around you react to how you act or how you do not act. You cannot control how they react. You can only control how you act. We're not saved by works, so nobody can boast. Praise the Lord. No. Yet we are His workmanship, aren't we? We're saved by His yes. grace, and yet we must look like Him. I tell you, um, one time whenever I was, I remember I was driving through, um, we was riding in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm, of course, I'm, like I say, I'm from Mississippi. But a little north of that, we have uh, the Memphis Zoo. Anybody ever been to the Memphis Zoo? Anybody? It's a real good zoo. It's a huge zoo down there. And y'all, I was going through, and one of my buddies was there that lives in, um, in the Memphis area. He was, he's uh, from that area. Uh, and we knew each other through college, uh, at Blue Mountain College. And, um, and so we were up there visiting and um, I had a, I think it was like a red baseball cap on backwards or something. Of course, I was just being, trying to be cool, whatever, you know, didn't think much about it. And I was just walking around looking at the zebras and, you know, whatever it was, the lions and goats and, you know, all that stuff. And I'm looking through the animals and all of a sudden my buddy noticed I was wearing my red hat. He said, you got to take the hat off. I said, well, why not? Oh, what's wrong with my hat? My hair was messed up. He said, you can't do that. We weren't in church or nothing. We were at the zoo. He said, you can't because around this area... There's certain gangs that they wear the red hat. And if somebody else that's on the other gang comes around and they don't like the red hat and they wear the blue hat, then, you know, and so, and so 
because of my ignorance of the situation, walking into that, I was unaware of such, you know. And so in the same way, we can cause other people to fall into sin around us. Just like those people in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, even if it's not necessarily something wrong, like wearing a, wearing a hat like that, that's not a sin. I mean, God don't like red more than he likes blue. But in that certain situation, I had to be careful, you know. And so we have to be careful not to, um, to cause someone else around us to stumble. Because 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour he wants to eat you all up, doesn't he? Whenever you're living on mission for Christ, whenever you are living on mission for Christ, you will honor the one who deserves the glory. Doesn't he deserve the glory, brothers and sisters? He deserves the glory. Jesus is worthy of our biggest and best response to him. 2 Samuel 22, 4 says, I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 145, 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his great is, greatness is unsearchable. 1 Chronicles 16, 25, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. We serve a God that is worthy of our worship every day. Amen. Amen. Even on a personal basis. Every day, getting in the Word, you know. Perhaps you don't get on your knees, but the knees of your heart, and you say, God, I surrender to you again. Number three, be careful how you love. Has anybody ever heard of um, Charlie Brown? Yes. Do y'all remember that teacher? Remember that? That's all I can think about when it comes to love languages. Everybody say love languages. You know, we all have a different love language, um, uh, there was um, the man, Gary Chapman was his name. He wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to, the, to Love That Lasts. Anybody heard of that book? It's a real good book. It's called The Five Love Languages. And he says there's five love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. No two people, no two individuals have the same worldview. No. And so each one of us is wired a little differently. And so your love language might primarily be words of affirmation. You really feel love when someone affirms you. My love language might be gifts. Hallelujah. You know, her love language might be physical touch and his might be acts of service. And so if you're over here and that person's love language is words of affirmation and all you do is just sweep their floor and you're serving them. Well, you might be trying to do a good thing, but you might be doing it the wrong way or maybe not the best way rather. And in the same way, this love languages, like he talks about, it's just, it's just the, the brim of, of a worldview. Because remember, our worldview makes up all the different of who we are, experiences and things like this. And so some of the benefits here of being an intentional about speaking the love language of somebody and not your own love language is that you're going to be successful in communicating the love that you're attempting to demonstrate. Does everybody remember John chapter 4, uh, the woman at the well? Amen. The woman at the well. What did he say? I can give you some water. You can drink of it and you'll never thirst again. Praise the Lord. Amen. The same exact gospel in the chapter before in John chapter 3 he shared, but he packaged it and repackaged it in a different way to where it could meet the person, to where they could understand it. It was Nicodemus. Remember, he said, you must be born again. It's the same gospel, but he said it in a way the person could understand you know, and it's important that you and I meet other people and speak to other people in a way in which they can understand. Not only that, but whenever we speak 
our words and we live our life every day in a way to where it, it, it demonstrates love unto these, these other people around us more than the way that we necessarily like to, guess what it does? It, it weakens our vanity. Sometimes, you mentioned hypocrites earlier, all of us in the face of God without the blood of Jesus on us are just hypocrites. That's all we are. Amen. Because it's not by our own works. It's by His work on the cross. And so, you know who the best example of humility was? It says, Jesus Christ Himself. Philippians chapter 2 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, catch that, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross. Just as Christ did, we are to humble ourselves, putting others before ourselves, certainly in a way that we could show and demonstrate our love to them. It might not be anything wrong with eating that food offered to the idols. Because after all, the, the idols are not even real. They're not even real. But because of those, those people's worldview, you see, it could cause them to stumble. And we must be careful how we love. We must be careful how we show what we know. Number four, be careful how you show what you know. Don't come across as puffed up. Don't nobody like somebody that's puffed up. No. You know, you don't want to act. Oh, look at me. I know about this, you know, about the word. No, you want to be like Philippians 2, our Lord and Savior, the one that could have called the angel armies. But instead, what did you do? He came and washed our feet. May we follow the example of our Savior who chose not to come as a conquering warrior, but as a suffering servant washing feet. So what are some benefits of doing that? You're going to be able to snatch some from the fire. There are still some lost people. There are many lost people around us today. I travel all over the world. I go to Brazil, to Honduras. I've been to Africa. I've been to Japan. And you know one thing I found out? All these people were all the same. All of us are lost in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And no matter who they are, Jesus can save a sinner's heart. And he can call him a child of God. And every one of us, if we are not in Christ Jesus before it's everlasting too late, we can be snatched from the fire like it says in Jude 21 through 24. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who, waving, who are wavering, is saving others by snatching them from the fire. You may avoid causing someone around you to stumble. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Stay away from every kind of evil, even the mere appearance of evil. Say, it might not be a sin to wear a red hat. Nothing wrong with a red hat. Not, might not be sin to eat, the, uh, to, to eat the food that was offered to the idols. But after all, the idols are not even real. But we can't control other people's experiences, their presuppositions. And when they come in, we have to meet them where they are. Even in their ignorance. Remember, ignorance is not the same as stupidity. It means they simply just don't no. So bacon might not be so bad after all. Because bacon's not unclean. Praise the Lord, though Scripture teaches us that. He said, that one's straight. I can eat bacon. But my friend, from an Islamic background or something like this, 
Perhaps I shouldn't joke about bacon in the Taco Bell after all. Be careful who you know. Not only how you show what you know, but be careful to show who you know. In the end, you know, it's not about what we know or what we don't know. It's all about who we know. And who does not yet know him. There's a lot of people that don't know him. him. I tell you this. I like to pick on my daddy. I like to pick on my mama. Oh, those silly words, ignorant and all that. And it almost sounds like an onomatopoeia, you know. But I like to pick on rise and shine. When I remember those wonderful memories, and I like to joke about his country accent. But you know, I really don't remember a lot of that silly stuff. I don't remember a lot of that. It didn't matter if he spoke like this or, or you know, like somebody educated or whatever. It didn't matter. I tell you what mattered is I remember every night laying down and my daddy helping me memorize scripture. That's what, I, that's what matters. I remember him teaching me as a young boy to grow up and become a man of God. That's what mattered. You see, it didn't matter if he's ignorant or hurt or all those silly things. It didn't matter. What matters is that we spend our time and our resources and our, our every moment telling those around us about the one who can make the change. After all, we can have Christian liberty. We can have freedom in Christ Jesus. But may we be careful to not let that Christian freedom, that Christian liberty, become a stumbling block to those around us.